So this summer, our series has been on the Psalms, and we are looking at it, not every single Psalm, uh, but at, in regards to a group of uh, four different themes, looking at four Psalms that illustrate that theme. Remember back in May, we began with the flourishing life of a human being as they rest in God. That is a theme of many of the Psalms. And then in Psalm 2, we have the beginning of another theme, which is the king and his kingdom, his worldwide kingdom, the coming Christ. So we looked at several of the Psalms that illustrate that. Then last month, we looked at another theme, which you see, for example, in Psalm 3 and 4, where when we are struggling with emotional difficulties and trials around us, that we take those things and lift them up to the Lord. And that is what, we, that is what the Psalms teach us as well. And it's interesting that when you think of the Psalms, you might think of, of rousing songs of praise. And I, I noted at the beginning, if we were to write the Psalms, uh, uh, songs for the church to sing, we would probably begin where the Psalms end, which is with rousing hallelujahs, rousing songs of praise to God. And yet, that really only develops as the Psalms goes on, and uh, we begin, and it kind of increases as the as, the, as we go forward in the Psalms, that there are more and more Psalms that focus on who God is and giving Him praise for who He is and all that He has done. And so that is um, what we are going to focus on this month or this coming month in August, um, beginning with today. And we're going to look at rejoicing in the glory of God because what we're going to see is that God wants us to lift our hearts up unto Him, not just because He is worthy of it, but because this is where the human heart finds its happiness and delight in the contemplation and praise of the living God. And so uh, that is what we'll consider today. And we're going to start with Psalm 33, a, a rather fulsome explanation of who God is and giving him praise for all of that. So let's listen again to God's holy inspired word. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing them a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is on his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We will wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. 
even as we put our hope in you. This is God's word. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you, O Lord, that you have given us this word to lift our hearts up unto you, the everlasting and ever-living God, worthy of all praise and glory and adoration. And so, Lord, even as you have said that whoever asks, you will give your Holy Spirit. We pray that you will give us your spirit to enable us to lift up our hearts from the things of the earth and let them point us to the creator who has made them and so find our joy and rest in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So where do we find our source of joy? Where do we find our source of joy? We're made for joy, and we're looking for something that will cause our soul to exult, to rejoice. And a lot of things can cause us joy uh, to a variety of degrees. Uh, We find um, them in the pleasures, the good things of this world that we can enjoy. We find that joy in our work. We find joy in our home. We find joy in our marriages. We find joy in our churches. We find joy in our children. We find joy in our education. And yet, so oftentimes what we do with these things is we, we place all our hopes for joy on these things, and the problem is that they end up disappointing us. We, looked on them, we lean on them too hard, and we often can end up even ruining them or ruining ourselves. We become highly sensitive to the least movement that these might not consider bring us joy. Um, and even with people, we are sensitive to anything that might disrupt that joy. And then we end up frustrated, anxious, and depressed. But there's a better way. We're not made to find our ultimate joy in any of these things. Augustine, the great philosopher and theologian of the 5th century, had tried everything. He had experienced um, a lot of pleasure. He experienced fame. He had experienced the blessings of education. He had many friends. He had learned all sorts of things, but he could not find rest. And he found it only in one place. And he said in his book, The Confessions, which is an excellent book that I highly recommend to you, but let my soul praise you, that it may love you, And let it confess your own mercies to you, that it may praise you. There is refreshment and true strength. As he said at the beginning, our hearts are restless until they find themselves in thee. And so that's what this passage teaches us. That there is a source of joy that that does not diminish, that does not change, where our hearts can find rest. And so let's consider it together. We'll see that there is a call to praise. Then there is an explanation of the object of praise. And then it tells us what the result of praise will be. If, you're, if you have your bulletin, there is an outline there if you want to follow along. And if you have some, there's some blanks there if you want to fill that in as we go along. Uh, but that, that may help you a little bit to see where we're going with this. And those are the three points. And let's consider first the call to praise. Because the first thing that it says is, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. And indeed, that is the subject of so many of the Psalms. And that's the theme that we're going to be looking at over this next month. Is that the Psalms, one of the things they're doing is causing us to set our hearts upon God. To see him and his greatness and his wonder and his glory and all the honor and praise that is due to him. And call us up from the things that he has made to the creator who has made them. And it calls us specifically 
to find joy in the Lord, to sing joyfully to the Lord, that it's not just a mental exercise where we see, yes, that is something we know, but it's something that moves our hearts. It is something that is that it causes us joy and it is something that is fitting it's the right thing to do when we say yes we should praise our creator it makes sense it's something we can understand but yet so we might ask ourselves you know what what do we need in order to do this and the key thing is that we need to be able to stop and reflect we need space for thoughtful reflection in order to be able to praise the Lord as he is due. And we live in a society that is go, 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 that is do, 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 has distractions everywhere. But this psalm and many other places calls us out of that busyness in order to let us focus our hearts on the Lord as our highest purpose. I had a really interesting example of this in my life. Um, and In the beginning of 2020, the end of 2019, I took a two-month sabbatical after being in ministry for 15 years at that point. I said, I'm going to just stop and take time to reflect and recharge. And it was very interesting. And, and, one of my, and the thing that my wife said when I told her about this idea, she said, you need to go away. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> she said, you can't do it here. You've got to go somewhere else. And uh, she said... So, we, so I got a, a, a condo on the beach, that I was going to say, and I was basically going to be there most of that time by myself without the obligations of family, without the obligations of church, and, and it was kind of like, let's see what comes out of that. And so it, when, you're, when you're away from all the things you normally do, in family, home, and church, and your work, or whatever other things you may do, what is it you're made for? What is it you're made for? And one thing, it really brought to my attention, like, do I have any meaning or purpose if I'm not with my church or with my family or if I don't have the tasks to do? And what I realized is, as I saw the sun come up over the ocean, it's like, no, my biggest task is to, to see the works of God and to give Him praise. And at any time and at any place, I can do that, and my life has purpose and meaning. Indeed, that is the highest purpose and the highest source of my joy. One of the books I was reading at that time was The Discourses of Epictetus, who was a second century philosopher, who was, not a, who was not a Christian, but he has a lot of great insights. And he said, and he said this, and I've read that just at this time, he said, for if we had any sense, what should we do both in public and in private, then sing hymns and praise the deity and recount all the favors he has conferred. That is a testimony of someone who reflected on human life, that we're here to see something bigger, to see the Lord our God and to give him praise. So how does space for reflection lead us to praise? Well, the first thing is we know God by seeing the world because he has created it, and so it reflects him. So we see the world, but then we let the world point us to God. So whatever good thing we see in the world, in terms of whether it's the beauty of the mountains or the splendor of the sunrise or the joy of a a new child or the glory of marriage or the blessing of a friend, all of this points us to the, the endless and infinite goodness to God. 
goodness of God. And so then we reflect on that because we take the limited good that we find in the creature and we multiply it by infinity, and that's the endless good of God. And as we contemplate that and we see the goodness of God, then we let that fill us with emotion and we let it give us words that then we express to the Lord. Now, we might not always need to use exactly our own words. We can use the word of Psalms. We can use words of other believers. But then also it's good to use our own words as well. And we have a a tool that can help us do that, to help us reflect on God, to help us set aside our time. And it is mentioned in this text. It doesn't just say, think about God, feel about God, write about God, but it says, sing about God. And so that is a great tool. One of the interesting things, again, about our society is is that the idea of human beings singing together is something that's kind of rare. If you think about it, what are the occasions in our society where people actually sing together as a group. The only one I could really think of was the seventh inning stretch, where everybody sings, take me out to the ball game. But it's kind, of a, it's kind of a rare thing if you're not in church. So I remember talking to a friend of mine uh, who had, he had grown up nominally Catholic, but he really wasn't uh, following the Lord, and, and he wasn't, uh, he hasn't really experienced in church and so he, but then he met a girl in college who invited him to come to, ch- to, to his church. And I asked him, what was that like when you first came? And he said, one of the weirdest things was that a whole bunch of people were standing up together singing. It was so strange. And I was like, man, I'm glad you shared that because it's good to know what people experience who, who have not familiar with church. You invite them in. It's like all these people singing. That's a weird thing. But in fact, it's actually not that weird. Because really, and if you look at the history of the world, singing and dance and, and music is, is a big part of it. And uh, I remember watching the show The Vikings, and it was a reflection of, of something that was, that was actually, that did take place. Is Here's these manly men, you know, that are, are killing each other and plundering, but they're also singing together out loud all the time. And because it was actually kind of normal throughout the history of the world. Our society is kind of abnormal because we're made to sing and we're made to dance and we're made to do that together. And so in order to do that, we need common words and we need common songs. And that is what the songs give us. And and then other people have added to those things to give us other songs to praise because we're made to make songs. And there's no better vehicle to express joy or also sorrow, also the difficult times. Songs can bring out all those things, and then we can feel it together, and it's something truly beautiful. And that is the vehicle that God has given us to help us lift up our hearts to the Lord. And so it's not a, t- it's not a waste of time to learn to, to sing, to learn, to play an instrument where you can sing to the Lord, or if you can't do that, just to, to bring, bring in some music and try to sing but then also to do it together, like you're doing today. So in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir, even literally, because this is what you're doing. Now, the psalm then moves from the call to praise to, to consider the one whom we are praising, the object of praise. And look at, let's look at the variety of ways that this psalm sets our hearts upon God. First, he, it's, it tells us to praise God as the God who speaks So God has revealed himself. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. 
And so it speaks of the God who does speak. And the Lord speaks through his creation. And he does this in two different ways. One is through justice. He's put a sense in us of what is right and wrong, a sense that we can't erase. We can distort it. We can shift it around. We can maybe not listen to it exactly, but it's still there telling us that there's a standard of justice that we didn't invent, that we can't avoid, and that we believe in. And then even when we say we don't believe in it, we still act like we believe in it. Read the beginning of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and you'll see an excellent explanation of that. The Lord has put in us a standard of what is right and wrong that is in our hearts. But then secondly, he's also spoken through his goodness. He's made the world glorious and filled it with his goodness. Why should the world be so pleasant? Why should we be able to know the world? Why should we be able to look out on the universe and even understand the world? It is because the earth is filled with his unfailing love and the Lord is continually speaking to us, telling us of his goodness. And then, of course, he's spoken to us through his word as well to give us an even clearer picture of who he is. So we give God praise because he's spoken to us. He's reached out to us through his creation and through his word. Secondly, we praise God as the God who created. He made everything. Look to, listen to verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. It says that he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. How did the Lord make everything? He made everything that exists. He made it by speaking. He called things that did not exist into being. And he knows and he has made all things. So when we're looking out into the world, we are seeing the Lord. One of the things, uh, David Frank, who's our missionary over to Spain, one of the reasons he did camping as a ministry is he, what he called the creation factor. He says, because when you step away from the human-made things, which still reflect God for sure, and get into creation, there's a sense of connection with the divine that is palpable. And so he wanted to get kids out there and then to have, be able to connect with God. We really cannot look into the world and not believe it. Um, even even um, one, one atheist said, um, he said that when we are looking at biological organisms, for example, we are looking at things that appear to have been designed, but, he says, but they weren't, even though they appear that way. Well, I say they were, and in fact, I would say that we cannot really believe that they weren't. For example, if you encounter a computer lying in the middle of the woods, there's no way that you could ever say that that computer simply got there by accident. It would be impossible for you to make that sort of jump. You could, you could try, but it would be a suppression of what you actually know. And so it is, and what we see that um, it is the same in the world. And indeed, we know even more so than ever before how, how finely tuned the world is, for, or the universe is, for us to be able to experience life in it. And we know, in a sense, have a better understanding of the laws of physics and see how finely they're calculated. We understand, we've seen the, the depths of the universe and how that fits together for life to exist in this place. We see also then on the micro level, that as we look when, um, when in the 19th century, people basically thought the cell was just a little blob of, of kind of random stuff. And then we kept looking, microscopes developed, and all of a sudden we find that it's like an advanced like computer-like language that is far advanced, more advanced than anything we could imagine. God has put his fingerprint in every, in every place, and he is our creator. So when we see the things in the world... We need to see our Creator and give Him praise. 
But he not only just created the world, he also governs it. And that's the third thing. He is the God who governs the world. He is the God who brings it forward. Now, we have our plans. We make our plans. As it says in verse 10, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. And so we can see we have our plans, but God has his plans that are above it. And he is governing the world. The Lord is in control, and he's governing things and moving them toward his end. And sometimes it might be harder to see when we look at the the micro, you know, what's God's purpose in this tiny event or this event, even though they're significant. Sometimes it's harder to see. But when you look at the big picture, it's amazing that the world kind of goes on. The purpose of creation continues to be fulfilled in spite of everything. People continue getting married, having children, building civilization, building churches, reaching out to the Lord. The purpose of creation is still there, and the gospel goes forward. In spite of all the opposition, in spite of all the skepticism, the gospel is spreading the good news about Jesus all over the world in ways that it never has before in the history of the world. And so we see the government of the world. And so for us, we learn to say, we may have our plans, uh, but the Lord has his plans, and he's governing the world. And if things turn out differently than we expect, we can say not only, as um, one philosopher said, that heaven decreed it otherwise, but also that heaven decreed better. Because God has a plan, he's working it out, and it's good. Fourth, we see here as the God who sees. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. He's looking upon his people, and he is also looking down on seas, all mankind. He sees all who dwell in the earth. So when we... we And many times we seek to run from the Lord or we ignore him and we put him out of our mind. But we're never out of God's mind because he sees all things. He knows all things. We're always before the face of our creator. And we need to keep that in mind. And we give him praise because he not only knows the big picture, he knows the small picture. And he knows us and he knows, has even the very hairs of our head numbered. Fifth, we praise him as the God who delivers, verse 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Now God uses what we would call means. In other words, he he has an ordinary course of creation. So we plant seeds if we want to have food. If we make tools, if we want to have greater power. We raise animals for food. We We uh, put things together so they function in the right way and so on. And God uses these means, but he's not bound to them. He is able to act above them. Egypt, in many ways, should not have been defeated by the Israelites. And indeed, the Israelites didn't really do that much. But God was able to bring them out of Egypt by his strong hand and his mighty arm. And so what this teaches us is we should not put our confidence in weapons or our might. In God we trust should be our motto indeed. Not just something written there, but we put our confidence in him. There's no problem too great that the Lord cannot overcome, but there's no resource so great that we can count on it apart from the blessing of the Lord. And so we see that God is the one who delivers. He's, he's the one who brings things to success. And then finally, we praise him as the God who redeems. In verses 18 and 19, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. 
And we can see this, of course, in the work of God in the Old Testament in Egypt, that um, the Lord the Lord brought them food when they needed it, and then he brought Israel down to Egypt, and they were there, and the Lord brought them out of Egypt. He delivered them from the state of slavery, from the death that they experienced there. But we see it even more so through the cross of Christ, that though we were owed death because of our sin, the wages of sin is death, the Lord put that on Christ, on the cross, so that we could be forgiven if we simply accept the free offer of forgiveness and grace. And then he did it through the resurrection because Christ, though he died, didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to defeat death, which is the assurance that death will not hold us, that death has lost its sting. And now we can only expect a more blessed life and a glorious resurrection where we'll be conformed to the pattern of Christ. And so we have all the more reason to praise him as those who have seen, not only heard the promises of the coming Christ, but have seen them fulfilled in the cross and the resurrection. And so... We ask ourselves, do we know him as our redeemer? We need to accept him today and say, we want that deliverance from death. We want that forgiveness. We want that hope of eternal life. And that's the call that goes forward. And as soon as we accept that, then we have it forever. And that is reason to praise him as the great God who delivers. Now, what happens when we contemplate God in this way and sing to him praises? Let's look finally at the effect of praise. First, the effect of praise is that it is hope. Now, we may not see things going the way we want, but we know him who holds the future, and this gives us confidence. So we can wait. Even if we don't see all that we want right away, we can wait because the Lord will deliver. Good things will come. It says in verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. It is, he is our help and our shield. When we say that he is our hope, we're not just saying like, it's a, we have like, Uh, some sort of expectation that things might go well. When the Bible speaks of hope in God, it's saying things will go well, that all things will in the end turn out well, that all things that have been lost will be restored. That is the hope that we have as we contemplate the greatness of the Lord. I was thinking about this as uh, reading on the life of Abraham Lincoln, and um, he was expecting the big battle that was going to take place in Gettysburg. And he was, and someone had asked him after the battle, he said, were you worried? And he said, you know, um, before this battle, I had spent a lot of time in prayer asking the Lord for help, telling him, if he will help us here, then I will fulfill all my vows and serve him with all that I have. And he had a sense that the Lord was going to, to that things were going to turn out in the right way. And so after then, he went out in confidence And that's the confidence that we can have before the Lord, too. When we bring our doubts, when we bring our struggles to the Lord, the things we're concerned about, we can come out with a sense of hope that things are going to turn out well. We may not see all the resources that we need to get where we need to go, but we remember that He is our help and shield. We have a help that is greater than the resources that we see in this world. We have a defense that is greater than the greatest defense and armies of the world. And yet... It's, that doesn't mean that we should not ask. Notice in verse 22, it says, May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. It is, we still say, Lord, continue this. Lord, continue to help us. We, saying we need you. We need your help. We need your strength, even as we put our hope in you. So that's the, the first thing, is that it brings us hope. We can see, no matter where we are, it'll give us an expectation things are going to turn out well. But then secondly, it is joy. So where do we get our joy from? 
We have an infinite resource. The one who never disappoints, the one who is always faithful, and the one who is fully capable and is totally willing and wants to bless us. That's the good news. The cross tells us that he who gave up his own son will not fail to give us all other things as well. And so that fills our hearts with joy. Even if we are in sorrow, struggling with loss of one thing or another, we know that in our heart of hearts, we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we can even rejoice while sorrowing because we are firmly convinced that all things will turn out well. In him, it says, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Where do we get the confidence that will enable us to have joy in a changeable world, a world full of tragedies and difficulties? We have an unchangeable source, a firm foundation, a refuge in the midst of everything. And so, in conclusion, just let me kind of bring this home to you to try to say, what should you do with what I've said? So first of all, you're doing it. You're here, as I said, preaching to the literal choir that is praising the Lord, that just keep doing this. Keep gathering, not just on Sunday, though that's hugely important, and not just on Wednesday, because we're going to start Wednesday services again uh, starting this week, but also in your homes, in, your, in private time, and so on, to left, lift your heart to the Lord. Clear some time to think. I think a good question to ask yourself is, where, as you approach each day, what is it that is causing you joy? Where are you looking for joy. What is it that you say, in this day, this is where I'm going to get some joy from? And I think, that's a, I think we'll see some interesting things about our lives. And it's not bad to get our joy from the creatures, but we know that a lot of times those things we hope for joy from don't come about. Things don't work out the way we want them to. But what, what we see is that in the midst of that, we can see that we have a source of joy that's not going to fail us. If our greatest joy is in giving praise to the Lord, then whatever happens in the contemplation of God, we always have that as a resource and refuge. And if you're struggling in particular, it's a lot of times because the things you were hoping for joy in have been, have been lost. And we have a resource there that we can go to the Lord and lift up our hearts to Him and we can share what it, we're struggling with, but we also can lift up our hearts to Him and see Him and His greatness. It is about getting a greater vision of God. And that's what will enable you to move forward in your struggles. You'll meet them with greater strength. As they approach, you will say, even though I see things that are tough and difficult ahead of me, yet in Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. And that, my friends, is the true fountain and source of joy that is available to each one of you at all times and all places every day this week, no matter what happens, no matter where you are, no matter what, what occurs, because the Lord is there and he invites us to contemplate him and find our rest and joy in him. Amen.